Hey, it's Adam. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Apologies for the lack of recent episodes. It's been about a month-long gap. Um, The reason being is that the recent episode I intended to release um, suffered a heavy bout of technical glitches, also known as audio drift, that uh, wasn't worth trying to Frankenstein back together. Anyhow, really excited to introduce you to my guest today, Maceo Paisley. Met him here in Los Angeles through the design community. Really enjoyed our conversation, as it'll definitely be the first of many. Started the nonprofit Citizens of Culture here in Los Angeles. It's a nonprofit that develops critical thinking and emotional intelligence using art as a platform to open up important conversations about identity, relationships, and work and has a physical space, new to, here in Chinatown, Los Angeles, uh, hosting talking circles, art shows, installations, amazing space with amazing people. I had the pleasure of um, hosting tea ceremony there last week. Anyhow, I will include links to all of these in the description for the episode. So without further ado, I give you Maceo Paisley. So yeah, I'm excited to try this tea because yeah, I haven't, re- I haven't really. I almost wish we had. Like maybe I'll put, maybe I'll ask Chance, the rapper, if I could put a snippet of his song into this into this episode to just, <laughs> to yeah, just tie that together. Yeah, he might say yeah. He might say yes. Um. So you just had a birthday. Yeah. You said it was your 34th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How was your 33rd year? Um, you know, pretty good. I think that... Um, a, f- a few years ago... I, I don't put the um, same amount of weight on the symbolism of the years as other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do appreciate, um, like, you know, AJ, nothing but a number to put it frankly. Sure. But I do appreciate the opportunity to acknowledge, you know, a season cycle. Yeah. And, um, I feel really grounded in, um, my perspectives at the moment. Mm Mm-hmm. And... I feel just sure enough of things to speak confidently about my my views on many different aspects of life, but still curious enough and frankly ignorant enough or naive enough to still see the world with a whole bunch of wonder. And I'm really excited about that sweet spot. You know, I think establishing, it sounds almost crude to say establishing and maintaining a sense of wonder in the world as a human, male, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can, I can relate to that. 
of course I have my own I have my own way of experiencing that and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know when I met you at this event which oddly enough was like one of the better networking experience networking experiences that I've had in within the field of design and was probably one of the like the last ones I had gone to because I don't um, I find that I I don't put in that effort to go out and, and network for the purpose of maybe finding the next gig or finding the next role that kind of thing uh, instead I go and I go just to um, you know just to see how I could be of service or how I can listen or or connect with someone maybe it's a person who's going to be a parent or someone who just doesn't want kids or you know whatever whatever that moment may be um, you know I try I lately have been seeking inspiration um, that way as opposed to like I'm going to go with this uh, hidden agenda of going to see if I could land a gig or something and you know um, the thing that really struck me um, when I had met you in that context was uh, it felt like there is this amazing aura of um, like this combo of like whimsy and and uh, immense groundedness as someone who like maybe like just you know i can only speak subjectively but as someone who maybe emits an aura of groundedness i always seek groundedness from other people maybe because i'm actually not as secure as i may uh, project myself to be but um there was a really amazing uh, interplay of groundedness and like whimsy that like what uh, magnetized, you know, me to you, like in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about that a lot. And, um, you know, somebody was asking me last night, they were saying, you know, um, are you, are you ever impressed? Are you easily impressed? And I, I feel like I'm not easily impressed, you know, like I'm not, impressed by the things people do necessarily as a spike in relationship to how impressed I might be at a scoop of peanut butter but in general I keep a I think a relatively high level of impressed about all things you know sure that I keeps me sort of fascinated with the world at large, you know, like I think it's really cool that we figured out how to make peanut butter and tea and and furniture. <laughs> um, yeah, and and programs and yeah, all of it. It's and, like yeah. we're as a species an anomaly, and when compared to other animals, the amount of leisure time. Uh, the the closest thing in nature that I think I can analogize what we call creativity 
to is reproduction yeah in the wild yeah um and it's almost as if we figured out how to um, extract the creative element from the reproductive process and apply it to other things like finding food or um, hibernating every and and then developing new areas of life that other animals don't experience or we've constructed new areas of life like work is one of the most fundamental parts of human life and yet it's completely alien banal maybe yeah maybe yeah Yeah, maybe maybe. why i say completely alien to the rest of the animal kingdom right because there isn't a separation between Oh, babe, I'll be back. I'm going to go get some acorns and I'll see you at 530. Mm-hmm. Make sure dinner's on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, it's, uh, it seems as though from the outside looking in, that is just a, a steady stream of sensation and, um, and choice and emotion. Whereas human beings, we are really into cartographizing and measuring and mapping, which I think gave birth to all the cool things that we have. But when you say banal, it makes me think, yeah, you know, um, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, we couldn't measure what mattered, so we made what we could measure matter. (laughs) That... That makes me think of, I don't know who said it or where I even read it, but someone was um, pointing out, it's like, I don't know if people realize that we are controlled by the rectangle. I'm talking about in an abstract sense. We sleep on rectangles. <laughs> we walk through rectangles. We drive in rectangles. We look at rectangles. We sit on rectangles, like so on and so forth. Like <laughs> We're like our rectangle, you know. No one talks about our rectangle overlords. Um, That's funny because, yeah. you know, there's no real reason for it, right? Like, it's not the strongest shape. Yeah. It's maybe just the one that was easiest to construct at, at the certain time in certain parts of the world. Or to ship or to move or to control, you know, something. Yeah. But you can't make a rectangle ship, mm-hmm. you know? Like a, a raft doesn't, yeah. you can't, there's only so much you can transport. With yeah. It. But uh, I, I think that stuff is funny. I think human beings are fascinating and I think I'm fascinating. I think you're fascinating. Um, children are wildly interesting to me mm-hmm. because it seems like they're just unable. They haven't practiced covering up all the things that we have. And so I think we're just better performers, but maybe we're still kids in many ways, except for the relationship we have to our consequences in the world. Sure. Which is maybe what adulthood at its crux is about. Yeah, adulthood being like the crutch of self-awareness or lack of self-awareness. 
or the idea that you could take responsibility for the impact of your actions mm. is a really daunting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I felt a lot more secure when I knew that if something was overwhelming for me, I could ask my dad or my mom to help me or to take care of it. I could actually just throw my hands up. And I think that's the difference, the main, the main difference I can see between adult, adults and children is that adults is a sense of isolation <laughs> in terms of like shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that isolation is, is what, um, creates uh, a need, a social need for life partnership, you know, a social need for life partnership. I yeah. Don't, I don't know what we might have done as like a more tribal. Right. I mean, may, I mean, the, the structure may have been different, but the need may have still been the same, you know, maybe in like more forager culture or like hunter gatherer. Like, okay, well, maybe the city is smaller. It's a smaller tribe or smaller village. And maybe the structure may be different. Maybe it's more like, you know, kibbutz style and people are just sharing all the resources, all the homes, sharing the the responsibilities in between kids. Maybe there aren't exclusive couples. Maybe there are polyamorous couples. Maybe everyone's just not in an incestuous way, but like in just a, who knows? We were certainly at that time would be sharing the river and sharing the forest and sharing the boar and sharing the lion or the bison or whatever yeah. the indigenous meat was that we were eating mm-hmm. or the berries, right? So, you know, I think adulthood is like, um, is one of those words that is like contextually different across cultures. Yeah. And, and comes with it its own you know particular set of responsibilities and this particular one i think it kind of means isolation Mm. like that's been my experience that i'm trying to because we started talking about my birthday right and so i guess what i'm trying to say is, is i'm trying to and i'm focusing on as i'm what it means to to mature versus age and what it means to be an adult yeah. and maintain a sense of wonder and also unpack what I, what adulthood means to me yeah in a way that is graceful and that I can accept and in a way that I I can identify with the definition hmm. a few years ago I felt really Um, like a really deep sense of grief like I was becoming older and the things that I had accomplished in my life were not satisfactory for a person of my age oh yeah you know that conversation oh yeah and I was like you know when I was 18 I could do XYZ and people would say it's really impressive you're really bright for your age and when I was 24, people would say, you're really impressive or smart for your age. And 
when I was 29, people would say, you know, you're really something impressive for your age. At a certain point, people stopped doing that. Yeah. That it just became expected that I was supposed to know everything that I knew. Yeah. That it was no longer worth celebrating or congratulating me for knowing whatever it is that I knew or had worked to know. And so I found myself in my late 20s looking for my next big thing that I could do earlier than I was expected to do to do it. You know? Maybe I could win a Nobel Prize and be the the youngest Nobel Prize winner and and people would say, "Wow, he's so young." Yeah. To have won a Nobel Prize. Yeah. And what? then I but it's just like these things like the, the tasks kept getting bigger. Like, ridiculously big. Like what? I mean, like, winning a Nobel Prize. Okay, so... Or, like, <laughs> you know, maybe I can go to the Olympics. Right. And people would say, wow, he's, he's only been doing it for how long? So impressive for his age to just be so talented, so young. And I found that what I was focusing on was, one, external validation, and two, youth. Yeah. Which, either of those things are actually totally cool. Um, you know, we're human beings, but I just, that's just what I noticed. And I was like, oh man. So I'm really interested right now in what it means to mature for me and also what it means to mature for the human race to mature. Yeah, that alone is a really huge topic. I feel like with every guest... We always glean on that without... I don't necessarily try and steer these conversations in any direction. There may be a few topics that I am inspired by, you know, given the opportunity of sitting with someone. And... Um, which is a fun segue. As I, as I started to learn about you... Again, we had, we had, our, we had our initial meeting, and then I... I don't think I saw you for possibly a year or two uh, until reaching out to you um, um, to share tea in in uh, in new to in your space. Uh, but in that in that interim time, there is this other relationship that goes on through the internet and seeing like what are you up to? What is he up to? What um, who is he? What what is he doing in the world? How is he being, you know, what, what does, what, it's just so funny to unconsciously measure a person through their output these days, you know, um, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and even when the, for better is, could be for worse, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, positively, attributing qualities to someone that as a result of what they publish yeah um how that even like i guess all i'm saying is to interrupt is that i recognize that there is a performativity to online encounters yes that i am comfortable with and familiar with mm -hmm. And so I'm always trying to undermine 
the quality of performance that I can deliver with something that is vulnerable. Yeah. So the whole thing is premeditated. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, but I'm trying to unpack or separate premeditation from dishonesty. Yeah. Right? How can you be both premeditated, curated, and also vulnerable? Yeah. I guess... That's that's what my ho- hope is for yeah. the stuff I do online. Yeah. It's like, you know, sure, this is... I took 10 of these photos, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm posting the one I like the best. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in publishing any of them, there's something vulnerable. Sure. So the one... So the reason behind the photo at its inception should be something that adds value at least to in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And particularly for me beyond aesthetic value. Yeah. Or in addition to actually. It's funny. I I I think I feel like I've come to a point right now. Um I think I started doing this finally in like February after thinking about it for way too long. Um, this may be the most vulnerable I've been publicly through this template, this not template, this medium, this container, if you will. Um, because, yeah, as you say, no matter what I, I am putting out there, let's say on Instagram, something like Instagram, um, I, found, I actually found myself to be using a platform like Facebook vulnerably and uh, I, f- I discovered that my community, my Facebook community, it's kind of funny, paradoxical. That's because label. we're the we're not digital natives. Yeah. We're not digital so we're natives. always doing like double speak of like, yeah. is this part of reality? Yeah. You know, and that's fair, but I think it's okay for us to be invested in the digital realm, I think. Yeah. I think. You know, yeah. ask me again in 30 years. Yeah, I might give you a completely different answer. I found that that vulnerability on Facebook was actually not received. It didn't give me, not that I was seeking validation on Facebook through being vulnerable, but there was no, like, engagement or conversation. You know, there are obviously different ways of communicating. It could be through a timeline, through a comment, through a private group, through the whatever. Um, and so, like... Pretty much a month ago now, I'm like, I can't, I, I don't want to uh, give any more or try and consume anything else from a platform like that. And so I've like left it at just Instagram, which I myself, perhaps, um, maybe artistically, I'm a more visually oriented person anyway, um, especially as a learner, I'm probably more visually oriented um, and more auditory as well. And... Um, but no matter what I'm putting out there on something like Instagram, there's always this curation. My visual mind is like seeking symmetry and perf- I'm like, I'm not super, I'm, I'd like to spend more time learning more about astrology. I don't know if you're familiar, but, um, you know, I have, I have this, um, part of my cosmology is like, there's a there is an air of perfection and I definitely see how I do that through whatever digital footprint and 
All that to say that everything that I've seen and consumed and enjoyed or viewed that you've put out, um, except for actually getting your book, <laughs> because uh, that's 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 a recent thing that you've done is publish a book. So yeah, um, so I'm glad you brought it up so I didn't have to. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I wrote I wrote this book uh-huh. which is called The Tao of Maceo. Ironically, next Sunday, I think you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll be doing stuff around. Next Sunday, I'll be at Bloom and Plume Coffee. Yeah. Across the lake. Um, I'll probably see Reese there. Mm-hmm. But um, the funny thing about Facebook is that I wouldn't have been able to write the book had it not for my, all my practice at learning how to communicate and receive feedback on my writing. Yeah. So it was like having a an online test group yeah. to where I could see what exactly was being responded to, my style of writing, the topics I selected, in as close to real time as the internet could um, allow. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the best editing. Yep, too esoteric. No one responds. Yeah. Uh, not within this sort of zeitgeist. Yeah. No, no one, one responds. responds. Uh, you know, uh, too angry. No one responds. Not angry enough. No one responds. Too political. Too no political. One. No one responds. Um, bear, political people respond. Don't like their response. <laughs> but is that see? Is that is that awareness and that sort of um, you know. Um, is that labor? Is that laboratory? It's funny. I've been saying laboratory instead of laboratory. Is that laboratory? That's great, off. though. Say it like that because yeah. that's how um, the British say it. I believe laboratory, and also it highlights labor. Labor, right? So that's where you go to work. Okay. Um, but it's is it laboratory or laborious? Laborious, yeah. One hundred percent. It was uh, my engagement with social media, and that's the part where I always like to disclaim. I don't have a recreational use for social media, even though I have, I I don't have a recreational use for social media. Um, But I do have a recreational disposition towards social media. So I don't engage in it for no reason, but I also don't take it seriously. Yeah. There are other things that I could do with my time if I were just bored. But I also don't think of it as, I don't honor it yet as reality. Like, I wouldn't be someone who could fully empathize with a term like cyberbullying. I don't put enough stock in what goes on in those environments to receive those, receive a comment online as real for me. But I totally see how there are people on the other side of the screen that would go to the extent to find out where someone else lives on the other side of the screen. And that fear is real. You know? Whenever I'm in an argument with someone online or whatever, a heated dialogue or whatever it is, or even a romantic exchange or whatever, a joke, I always just assume that they're like the best intentions. Are no, they're, they're they're setting it down on their when they log off. 
And that's that's probably like my naivete. Because I'm like logging off. Like when the conversation gets too heated or just uncomfortable or boring or personal, I just log off. And then I go back to whatever I was doing as opposed to like, there have been very few instances where I've thought about, you know, something that was said online for a long time. But that's, but that's like, I think, not the common experience. It no. seems as though that's like been one of my, like, that's been one of my learnings. And from, from, from being on Facebook is realizing that, oh, one, there's other people on the other side of the screen that are actual people. I have, I have a, a larger number of Instagram followers and Facebook followers than I could comprehend actually the significance of that number of actual people viewing anything that I would do in real life. Yeah, the number becomes abstract at some point. Yeah, very quickly. Mm -hmm. even, even if you have 900 friends on, on Facebook, you have 900 Instagram followers, I can't conceive of 900 people being interested in a single line of text that I might write. Here's what's interesting, though, <laughs> is that it's, it's possible... I'm going to highlight the key possible, the word possible. It's possible that 900 people at any point in time mm -hmm. may have seen, liked, been interested in, or wanted to, to consume something, some image, a word, a sentence. There's this like whole other construct of like some reality or time construct where like maybe 1,100 people at some point... Um, liked something and so they'd say oh i'll follow this person but but then as algorithms uh you know update or or, or are built or rebuilt over time uh your shit does not show up on people's right feed anymore so well then it's that's a really uh, interesting that's a healthy reframe and yeah. it also makes me um self-conscious because then i would make it seem like that over like a five-year period i would um, i would have hoped that Far more people would have, at any given time of the day, <laughs> but more than 1,100 people would be interested in the things that I'd say. You know, like, if that's the, if that's the way that I'm thinking about it, then now I go from, yeah, social media is not a real reflection of where people's interests are to maybe I'm not important. <laughs> and the things I say are not yeah. important, you know? Um, which is like literally like that's the the sort of paradigm of social media, right? Sure. Is that it's this wonderfully connective and validating space where you can find your other gardener people of whatever squash that you garden, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you can also find the person who gardens the exact same kind of squash that you garden so much better than you ever could that you feel inadequate in your practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's it's both of those things, you know. It's uh, it's the giver and a taker. Mhm. Mm which is really just us, which is why I I'm you know, I really love Taoism. Mhm. Mm how did you find how did Taoism find you? Oh. Uh, you know, pretty typical answer, Bruce Lee. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, I, just like anybody else, you know, was like fascinated by this guy who seemed to have superhuman abilities. Mm -hmm. 
and I had always been fascinated with, uh, you know, Western philosophy, actually. Um, but I found out about Bruce Lee when I was probably nine or ten. Mm-hmm. My dad was a 80s, 90s businessman, and in the early 90s, Japan started really kicking our butt. In 80s and early 90s, Japan started to become a real global competitor. And so in the corporate business world, they started to pull down these words like Kaizen, business management, which was like the way the Japanese business leaders manage their, you know, uh, teams or... uh, Kaizen being this, like, as far as as far as I understand, like, always like driven by improvement. Yes, 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 yes. and uh, so, you know, and then Bruce Lee. So the, the, the East had this crazy invasion, right? Um, and it was, you know, the greatest fighter in the world is Bruce Lee. And the businesses that are starting to take over, China is starting to become prominent. Japan is starting to become prominent on the global economic scene. And so people started wondering, what was, what's been going on over there? For the past 20,000 years. <laughs> and my dad started bringing these books over. And he brings over, like, The the Art of War by Sun Tzu. Mm-hmm. And then I read through that. And one of the other brings, things that I stumble upon is among Plato and Socrates and, um, and, and um, you know, Descartes. Malcolm X and Gandhi was the Tao Te Ching, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Lao, yeah, exactly. So, um, and Confucius, and, and so I'm like, okay, and then you know Buddha, and uh, um, one of my favorite books as like a middle schooler, they like gave us. My dad gave me was Siddhartha, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, oh, okay, so there's this really big world, but the whole the only lineage I had learned of was, you know. Thomas Jefferson back to England you know up through the dark ages and then back to Rome back to Greece yeah and a little bit of Egypt and there was like Alexander the Great Mm -hmm. but I didn't hear about why Genghis Khan you know he was like a barbarian and all this stuff so I started to find out and I was like oh cool so they have as much history in the east for the for the entire time human there's been a lineage going on there that intersects and interweaves with the narratives from the west that has been told from a particular vantage point let alone all the stories that have been erased from africa right sure um and um i i was like oh okay cool so um i grew up did martial arts and uh, did karate and kempo and shotokan and jujitsu and a little bit of taekwondo and then I got older and got into tai chi and and realized that oh these were these were movements that were connected to like deep spiritual practices it wasn't like for fighting sure they like served that purpose as well yeah um, but it's like martial arts. It's like these are the healing arts of the body, and I was like, oh, cool. Um, 
and I happened to have been be a dancer at the same time mm -hmm. and so it made a lot of sense to me that the sensations in the body could be tied to spiritual experiences and philosophical ideas that would help govern life and so I really became fascinated um, with the idea of integrating a lot of what I found to be a real appreciation for nature and a higher authority um, than like man's laws, so to speak, mm. but also one that wasn't singular and supernatural and sentient, like a monotheistic yeah. viewpoint. Yeah. Whereas, like, I like the idea of distributed authority and and you know even like four corners and and different um, explorations of what has led humans to be here. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it was just like mythology and just being curious about the stories. Yeah. Wonder. You know, war wonder. Um, so, yeah, totally into that. And um, that's kind of how I found it. Very mm -hmm. here, there. Mm -hmm. um, studied some Tantra. And breathing and was trying to hold my breath for long periods of time it just like you know I as an athlete and a dancer I was looking for anything that I could to sort of improve my relationship to my body and this gave me a whole different kind of access point to it and so it was very valuable I like this tea. This we go high. We go high. It also sounds like a. It sounds like Cantonese or something. We go high. <laughs> or Korean, you know. Possibly. I don't know. I actually, I would love to ask him why. So, um, as a side note, um, white two tea, my tea sponsor who gifted this tea for this purpose, for to be, pun intended, steeped in conversation. Um, I don't know why he named this tea, but he himself is an expat from Wisconsin, is based permanently. Um, he used to be based in southeast China, I think like sort of Fujian or like... Uh, Uh, but now he's based in southwest China, which is like more where, where, uh, really it's like the birthplace of poor, where where it is from and where it continues to be. You know, grown and and cultivated. Among like uh, indigenous peoples within that region, but also like you know, manufacturers and farmers that they work with, or so on and so forth. Um, It's refreshing to hear that, like, you started, like, you got the books, like, because your dad brought them over, and then you pursued your own, you know, you had this sort of, like, self-inquiry that, like, 
it never starts or stops. It just kind of keeps going. I realize these are probably going to be totally melted, but they're going to be still really delicious. Because <laughs> at room temperature, they're just going to be like, blah. But I know. Um, I was like, yeah. it's not that hot. Yeah. But, you know, because it's like, if it's at room temperature. I mean, also, I probably about, won't eat much more than this yeah, if yeah, you yeah. want to. Yeah. I should probably get in there as well. Yeah, I made these with uh, with my daughter. It's a great um, you know, activity to like get messy and make chocolate together and totally. Just use like, you know, maple syrup and coconut palm sugar and be like, I'm not worried if you eat three of these, like we'll be cool. Like mm-hmm. no sugar spiking. Which is funny, that's a whole segue into like you asked me when you came in, like, what's the how's my experience of parenting? Mm-hmm. But well, so the reason I asked that too is in this conversation of maturity and aging and wonder, my my philosophy is that until we have kids, while we are kids, we're receiving the voices of our parents as the authority. And then once we become our adult, our executive functions become the parents to our inner child and then once we have kids my thinking is that we then externalize our inner child and treat our external children the way we've practiced treating our inner child that is our hope that yeah. is that is definitely like in a utopian sense yeah. right i yeah. mean that's very I, again i love hearing that because like, I mean, we need a lot more of that in the world. Um, and my experience of parenting now, the shortest answer to your question is like, you know, it's a, it's everything, every day, all the time, every moment is a work in progress because the sometimes cognitive dissonance of my inner child dealing with my own childhood trauma with my parents and then being triggered by something that I'm experiencing with my daughter um, or with my partner. Um, I don't want to say it's a minefield because it's not exactly a minefield, but there's a lot of room there to be really kind to yourself because otherwise you know, then when I look at, you know, what our world is like or what our, like, you know, culture is like here in the U.S. of A. Opioids, uppers, drugs, you know, mood, mood stabilizers, alcohol. These are all uh, these sort of externalized ways to attempt to have a sense of control. Instead of just dealing with your feelings. And um, honestly, this experience, this ongoing experience for 10 years now and, and moving forward of tea, you know, you were talking about, you know, martial arts. Uh, Gong Fu Cha is also, you know, AKA Kung Fu Tea. So, as you know, Kung Fu is not 
just martial art. It's like a skill discipline, you know. So Gong Fu Cha, skill discipline with tea preparation. Um, a lot of nuance and micro movements, and you know, just every every moment to just ground yourself, be present in in your body with what you're doing. Um, this is my medicine, my teacher, my drug, all the things, like all wrapped in one, whenever I need it, or whatever the, you know, the, whatever I need from it or whatever I can give to it, it's, it's all the things all at once, all the time. Do you think that um, it gives you kind of feedback like a piano does where you, you've done it? You can notice an off note or something like sure. that. How does that come up? For me, it's more like a glitch in the matrix. Mm -hmm. I'll notice I'm like in the in the in the midst of you know the because all the movements here are so cyclical, you know, uh, and all the stages of of you know hot water to pot to decant to cup. But you know, it's like it's all. The metaphors, you know, within nature, you know, where does water come from? Well, there's rain or there's snow and it gets to the top of the mountain. And then during the spring, it starts to melt and it goes down into the stream and from the stream into the river and from the river. You know, it's like there's all these. So the, there's a metaphor there with all those stages. When I'm unconsciously just trying to go through these same the cycles and the pattern of movement, and then there's I, I, I recognize like a glitch. I've like like dropped something or or splashed something or or clinked on something. That's when I that's my um, sort of active uh, reminder that like oh you know what? What's the whole point? There's no rush here. There's no there's no destination. You know there's no like we must get 16 steepings out of this before you know four o'clock. It's just about slowing down or stopping. Stop, take a breath. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. So, It's the most, other than music, you know, playing music, playing percussion, playing bass. Those are like my main, you know, voicings as a, as a musician. You know, this has been the best and most effective way for me to not turn my mind off, but to just really immerse. Mm -hmm. um, and to do that either totally solo here at home in the morning or, you know, in, in service to others, like in a ceremony with 16 people or something, or five people. Do you do you do do you approach it with kind of any kind of progressive viewpoint or is it more of dropping in to a place each time and then coming back and visiting that place? I feel like I'm not I'm not always trying to to recreate it the same way. I'm always trying to have a, like a, a Zen mind beginner's mind about it every time I set up somewhere new you know it's the first time i'm doing it there it's the first time i'm with this group of people it's the first time i'm doing maybe using this new pot or setting it up in this particular way maybe i'm being more symmetrical or more asymmetrical 
I'm always trying to get out of my own trance of of habituation. Um, so it's you know it's an ebb and flow. Mm. Um, I guess it all boils down to like you know these sort of varying degrees of of the performative qualities of it. I think I ultimately do this because it's it's not only a real kindness to myself but it's just a kindness to others and that's mm. why I uh, always come back to it you know either on the daily or you know whenever the opportunity sort of arises um, there were moments where I was trying to be more progressive with it like I was when I was pitching this experience to uh, potential clients like oh this is a this is a mindfulness module you know for your team it's a team it's a team um, it's a team building experience you know it's a this it's a it's all these things you know like in a way noticing how I was trying to repackage it so that it could you know like you want this it'll benefit you or your team or your company or your culture that kind of thing um, I recently had in the spring this past spring a conversation with uh, a friend mentor tea sister um, just like an older sis to me and she came over and we were pouring I was we were sitting just like this and she reminded me she's like you know you're you're selling this thing as though it's something that it's not. It's it's just tea. <laughs> don't 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 sell it as though it's something else. It I no wonder you know it's like it's no surprise that you know. Yeah, why would Snapchat or these other companies that may have, you know, wellness budgets for their for their office, why would they seek this out when there's sort of like the go-tos? You know, we'll bring in a yoga instructor. Or a, a meditation facilitator for like a, a thing. Um, you know, don't um, don't steer away from the fact that this is exactly what it is, and it's really about it, about finding comfort in community and in silence and connecting with yourself and connecting with nature because you really, I mean, it's really just leaves and water. You know, obviously the leaves go through an amazing you know alchemical process through where it comes from and then the farm, you know, like what conditions it was grown in and who were the farmers, you know, who, who grew the trees and who were the people who picked the leaves and who harvested you know, all the stages of how it got to even being in this, in this, this cabinet, you know, um, that she's like, let that speak for itself. You don't have to sell it as though it's a mindfulness thing. It's it's an understatement. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's a very kind of, that's a long-winded answer to the question of, like, am I trying to be progressive with it? There were moments when I was mm -hmm. trying to lean into that. Yeah, I think about that all the time. Because, you know, it's like, we're in this world, right? There's Earth, but we're in the world, you know? It's 
those are two different places. One is a physical place, which is Earth, and then is the world, which yeah. is like society and you know what I mean, like the rules and police. Yeah, it's all constructed. Yeah, and things don't get to be one thing really. They have to be two things. It's like tea. But then what? You know, but why? Like, come on. Come yeah. on, dude. You know, it's got to be... What does this do? What, what will this do for me? What will this do, yeah. right? And it's almost like the hack mm-hmm. is to not hack, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, the whole life hack culture is mm-hmm. like life hack. Or biohacking. Biohack is right. just actually just breathe, mm-hmm. chill out. <laughs> or like what, what, you know, this guy, with the what's his name, Wim Hof? It's like, just sit in cold water. Yeah. Just take a cold shower. Yeah. That may be the answer to your anxiety disorder, you know, if you want to call it a disorder. Mm-hmm. Just take a fucking cold shower. Let your nervous system, let your, what is it, the sympathetic nervous system, go into fight or flight in a cold shower and, like, just breathe through it. hmm And that may do wonders for you, you know? Who knows? Yep. Um... Granted, in the summertime, it's the easiest time to, like, embrace cold showers, but... But also, just ramen in the summer yeah. is good, too. So, yeah, exactly. And drinking hot tea when yeah. it's hot and, you know, makes you sweat, cools you down. Yeah. I think all that stuff is, is funny. <laughs> I, I was watching the movie the, the Rock just came out with called Hobbs and Shaw. And, you know, I've read Nietzsche... And I got this quote from the movie because it was the right quote. And it says, uh, the body has more wisdom than all of your philosophies. Sure. As, as told by the rock via Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. So it's like, one, I guess it's supposed to be ironic that that quote came to me through the, the rock, rock yeah. in an action movie. Yeah. Um, don't, but, don't judge the book. <laughs> exactly, you know, but but nonetheless, it's totally true. Mm-hmm. I believe it anyway, and um, yeah, it's almost like that's the part is where we we've like we're just you know being our being in our bodies is almost terrifying. Yeah, you know. So we try to be in our minds so much. And I think there is so much knowledge and wisdom in the body. Um, I have some pain sometimes and I always try to listen to it. It's like when we're in conversation with someone else, have you heard these things? We're like lean into discomfort. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, also with your body. Yeah. Like when you, you're like, hmm, well, what is, what is that? Why? There's, there's, and if you notice, whenever we get a cut, we went, we go to touch it first. Yeah. Or like, and you're like touching your foot. Yeah. And then if someone's like, oh no, no, don't touch it. Yeah. But you want to, you want to touch the pain and like, yeah. cause you want to see like how sensitive it is and where it's sensitive. Yeah. You want to learn more and that knowledge is intimacy, but it also hurts. One of the best examples of what you're saying that I just experienced so, <laughs> so in depth that it's blowing my mind right now, especially being altered by this tea slightly, um, is uh, dental work. Mm. You're sitting in a chair, 
you can't see what's being done. You can hear only what the tools are doing. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like you hear the the drills and the high frequencies. Maybe you'll smell the enamel being incinerated. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just went through like, I mean, talk about, oh, man. Talk about like childhood working your, you know, making peace with my inner child. Um, I'd been neglecting dental. So here we go. Full disclosure for a segue. I've been neglecting dental work for like too long as an adult, as an adult. And, um, and then my body, not my body. And then my, my tooth, my mouth was like, Hey motherfucker, we're going to do some shit like right now. Like as I was flossing one night, like in like early June. And it was the experience of like, I'm flossing and like a part of my molar chips off is like a classic nightmare scenario where it's like you look in the mirror and your teeth are Mm -hmm. falling apart or something. It's like, okay, well, this is terrifying. But there was that immediate like, where is the pain? Where is the discomfort? Oh, well, there isn't. There's discomfort because it's now a new shape that my inner mouth or my Mm. lip has to deal with. But there isn't, like, shooting mm. sensitive tooth pain. Mm. It's a different, unique, nuanced experience. Then the process of, how do I address this? Who do I go to? So that, that unfolded. I went from one general dentist who t- took three seconds, looked at it. He's like, just go get a fucking root canal. Here's a referral. Go deal with that. Come back. And let's do this, like, other, let's do, you, know, you have one more cavity that we should deal with before it turns into something terrible. I was like, okay, I don't really accept that diagnosis fully in this moment, so I'm going to go get a holistic dentist perspective. Got a totally different perspective. Got a whimsically amazing recommendation for a different type of therapy called vital pulp therapy as opposed to let's just go nuclear and do a fucking root canal Mm -hmm. um and even though it's been like a two-month process and i'd been like in a dental dentist chair for six visits and like eight weeks it's done and the whole experience of that with my inner child of like i remember being a 12 year old boy and dealing with a root canal with like a very Russian endodontist who like jokingly was like, we're going to torture your mouth now with fire. And like, it was a six hour like saga. Mm. Like I remember it vividly in my body, like there's the, the tension of that. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this shit. I'm not going to do it. And I was like, we have to do this because things will get worse if, if it's neglected. Mm-hmm. And so the experience of that was just, that cannot be really said fully in just this, you know, in, in this story. But, um, yeah, God, it's so surreal to be in a dentist chair and to not have a, a sort of full view on what exactly is going on 
because of just the nature of the work, you know. You, know, you just have to receive or trust the work of, you know, the dentist, the hygienist, so on and so forth. Mm. Um, it's a really interesting trust exercise. Uh, I think these um, these stories are really like really important. One from the medical side, people recognize that there is alternatives yes. to what is being offered. offered. Um, even just me, like you know, I I want to take care of my body, but I don't want to see a scientist. Yeah, <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know if I like science. In the way that um, it's it's you know delivered on the body, yeah, it's very invasive. Yeah. So, I'd rather like someone listen to my body and and be in relationship with what they're experiencing, and then ask me what things feel like, and then come to some agreements and conclusions and um, processes that then maybe affect the rest of my life or like you said, six, eight weeks, whatever. <coughs> As opposed to like, we're going to drug you and drill you and um, drug you again and it's going to hurt. And... Uh, bite down on this thing. And bite down, yeah. you know, and then and then bunch of, shove a bunch of some foreign material in there. That is also... Um, synthesized and um yeah wham bam, like, wham, let's, bam. Get, let's get you out and get the next person in you know so I, I think it's really important in that way um and I and I also you know I think it is really I think it's great that we have like we can do a triple bypass on someone yeah you know and add 20 years of their life. I think that that's cool. I also just... Wish that we maybe arranged our society in such a way that that kind of thing was less common. Hmm. You know? Like the blending of the two practices... Um, if you need a bypass, you need a bypass, maybe. But also, how do we notice it sooner, and what are the signs? Yeah, I mean the view. The, I mean this could maybe be. What's the word here? It's like when I've done some reading on like how. Eastern cultures deal with healthcare, right? Obviously, there's probably a lot more herbalism going on, right? Even just in the, the sort of the school of TCM, you know, traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, there may be a lot of science to it, but there's also a lot of, you know, I'd say it sounds corny to say like earth-based science, right? Just herbalism. You don't need a drug to deal with this ailment you can just take uh you know this herbal tonic and it'll do the same thing and you know the same thing that the the chemical mm -hmm. uh you know combination would would do right without it being taxing on the body 
but I feel like when yeah, they, or like a hand thing for a migraine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it seems as though maybe not all Eastern cultures, but definitely some Eastern cultures, like the focus is on health and well-being, and so when you're healthy is when you like sort of pay your your tidings like I'll pay because I'm healthy like because I'm it's like a I don't know how that payment or that exchange would work it's when you have the ailment or when you're sick that you need the care and you receive the care for no fee you know it's almost like a complete inversion Mm. of how we have it structured here of course I mean I'm no you know, expert on our healthcare system, but just imagine, like, yeah, as you say, to to do less triple bypass surgeries just because, uh, for the, you know, due to the benefit of someone checking in with themselves or maybe checking in on that pain and that p- well, yeah, part I mean, of the body. Yeah, it could just then. be. How do we help people manage stress? Yeah. Or their feelings, that kind of thing. Decrease the amount of cortisol that's being produced. And you have less strain oh. on the nervous system yeah. and the heart. And that's it for, for some people. Because then over a 20-year period, they're less likely to have issues. Yeah. And then you do that and maybe cut back on the drinking a little bit and watch the red meat Mm -hmm. just watch it Mm -hmm. that's all don't have it all the time yeah have it three times a week and Mm -hmm. not five Mm -hmm. it's probably it with the other stuff you know certain small interventions here and there in three or four different places in your life could be the difference between a bypass or heart attack down the road yeah you know but um, I don't I don't know I, I that's how I let I try to live my life anyway I try yeah. to say you know I, I'm gonna watch my red meat you know I'm gonna yeah. watch it I'm gonna I'm gonna in, I'm gonna decrease it I would love to have a burger delicious I'm not vegan once a month yeah great awesome it also changes my relationship to it in the sense that it becomes a precious delicacy exactly. thing. Saving something you savor. That I savor. Yeah. And that makes it even more fun. Of course. You know, I'm like, oh. Imagine how many more chemicals in the body and the mind enjoy that experience, that, that level of reverence and savoring. Maybe there's more enzymes or more. <laughs> Maybe the microbiome is happier in that sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll see. Who knows if any of this stuff yeah. makes it makes it better. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And we, you know, also you can't can't go back. You can only go through. Right. It's not like we can undo technology or undo agriculture or whatever. I think it's just like how can I, like even with my business, I think how can I be a, a effective salesman with grace. Mm. You know, maybe I sell less, and that's fine, but I sell enough. 
And always, def- always redefining what enough is. Yeah. Given the given the yeah. the uh, given the context. That's that's been the most interesting part of parenthood for me, is redefining what enough is. Hmm. Because if I were single and had a different overhead and had a different set of needs altogether, you know, enough would look a lot different than what it looks like right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's what a lot of my wealth, you know, again, thinking about my body and, like, aging and stuff, too, is, like, I think there is a, is a, there is a wealth to health where, you know, if you have a strong back and uh, a good heart, you know, like, that's beating, you know, good cardiopulmonary health and a sound mind then you're like infinitely wealthy yeah you know what i mean like you can't quantify what you could accomplish with those resources mm-hmm. you know add a, some skills onto it and you could do anything from you know make some really beautiful fine art or something to have a farm whatever exponential right if you don't have those things it becomes more challenging and you have to be more of something else in order to make yeah. the same amount of with the with the amount of time you have or whatever and so to me it's been interesting to like coming out of dance and like transitioning into writing more and being like oh okay so now I'm using my brain more and my body less yeah but I'm still informed by my body yes um not that I'm like smarter now or <laughs> I, I I don't know but just the what I'm using to like do my job, right? And how that affects like my perception of the world is really interesting. And so like then this idea of growth and maturity is now become like a non-linear thing. It, it might be like, what does maturity look like today? Yeah. Or right now? Yeah. For who I am today, right now, as opposed to a fixed definition of maturity that is supposed to stick with me regardless of who and what and where I go. Yeah. Uh, I like open-ended questions because I feel like they're the most valuable for me to sit with and meditate on Mm -hmm. because they just lead to new and different questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that helps me think, that helps me orient where I am in my thinking. Exactly. And again, like there's no beginning or no end to any of the thoughts or the questions really. It's just the moment this moment in the here and now like maintaining open-ended questions and leaving room for whatever is going to come up um how, how are you on time want to be sensitive to time i mean i should probably be getting wherever yeah. um next um yeah sun's gonna go down yeah and i know you got stuff too mm. but uh I don't know. Is there anything we missed? Do we feel good? I feel like that open-ended bit feels like a good ending. The open-ended bit is a good coda in the here and now. I mean, for me, like, having you in the here and now is wonderful. And I loved how it, like, kind of spontaneous. I mean, it was so spontaneous that I saw you walking outside of 
my window, which was yeah. arguably the the fun like the funniest and most the most real thing I probably could have experienced today. Mm-hmm. So I, I thank you for that. Yeah. You know the benefit of living by the town square here, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and you know like this is you know and that's also why I walk. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's like why I make practice of walking. Yeah. You know? In fact, I want my next set, I want to update, have different setups for, because this is a really bulky thing that's typical to this, for this conversation. But I want like a walking setup. I want like a field recorder and like, you know, just have to use a field recorder and like just have a walk and talk. I mean, this show is called Wabi Sabi because I'm not trying for the first time in, you know, in, in terms of creativity, I'm really not trying to be perfect with something. Mm-hmm. So may this be like, you know, one in a series of conversations that I can have for you. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I want to give a big thanks to my tea sponsor, white2tea.com, for the tea that we drank in conversation. It's called We Go High. I'll share a link to that in the description of this episode. Please go check out Citizens of Culture on Instagram and on the web, citizensofculture.com to find out more information, as well as Nutu, that's spelled N-O-U-S-T-O-U-S dot co, and on Instagram as well, Nutu LA. Also, we'll be including a link to the Dow of Maceo, and follow him on Instagram as well, at Maceo Paisley. And last but not least, please subscribe to the show. Leave a review. It helps with search results. Check out the Patreon that I'm running to generate funds to just run the show and to slowly grow it over time. The support tiers start as low as a dollar a month. And there are gifts that I send annually to Patreon members starting at $5 a month. So check those out at patreon.com forward slash Wabi Sabi Podcast. Thanks again.